Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire-Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there, I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training five secrets to taking a break from drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60 minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. Welcome to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. I am really excited because we are talking about working moms and if drinking helps working moms cope with life. I know that I thought it did. I thought that wine was the glue holding me together as I went to my job and dealt with that and then came home to two young kids for years. And my guest is Heather Lowe, and she had the same experience. So Heather is the founder of Ditch the Drink, a wellness company dedicated to helping professionals move away from alcohol and towards their highest selves. Heather is a certified professional life and recovery coach, a certified addictions awareness facilitator, and the director of marketing of consumer products for the International Center of Addiction Recovery Education. Driven by her education as a Bachelor of Social Work and a professional in human resources, Heather provides content, knowledge, coaching, and education to individuals and organizations seeking to be more alcohol-free. So Heather, welcome. 
Thank you. It's such a mouthful to read all that. I'm so happy to be here, Casey, to have this important conversation with you. Yeah, I'm excited too. And I know that for years, I was always a big drinker and, you know, sort of drank every night a week. But that really took off when my son was born, when I became a working mom, because all of the things I used to be able to do to kind of take care of myself mentally and physically after my job sort of went away. So I was working, you know, with demanding bosses and lots of deliverables until 530, whereas normally I'd work till seven and then leaving and trying to race home to get my son before daycare closed. And then after he went to bed, jumping back on email to try to finish everything up. And I did a lot of that while having a bottle of red wine open and constantly refilling it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. You were working your first shift at your job, your second shift at home, and then third shift back at your job from home. I always say alcohol actually fueled my over-functioning. Oh, tell me about that. That's super interesting. Yeah. I mean, I was, I'm an over-functioner to begin with, a perfectionist and high achiever, Enneagram 3. Me too. I'm an Enneagram 3 as well. Of course we are, right? Course, so we can right? do everything. We don't need any help. We've got it all. Yeah. It's done. It's done right. It's done perfectly. We don't know how to delegate or ask help and, and all that stuff. So it really does change when you have kids. And our sense of worth is from being productive and achieving. Yeah. And yeah. that's how we how we think that we're loved and succeeded and valued and all that good stuff. Exactly. By yeah, what we can produce and how efficiently we can yes. produce it. Right? Yes. So alcohol kind of fit along with that, like for me, because I could do my work and pour my wine and get it all done. And it was like as if wine was restorative or restful or made it more fun or something. Yeah. And um, especially when the kids are young, that's Groundhog Day, bath time, dinner time, bedtime, right? Yeah. yeah. I used to always say that I could multitask when I was drinking, as opposed to all the other things I used to do to have fun and to connect with people and to relax. I mean, before kids, I still worked a ton and I definitely drank, but I also went to the gym and took guitar lessons and got together with girlfriends for walks. And mm -hmm. once I had my son, it was lovely and amazing, but also incredibly draining and really stressful. Like he would get an ear infection and my husband and I would be staring at each other, like basically competing for who had the busiest day and who couldn't leave work. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So I can totally relate to that. I was in a situation where, okay, prior to, well, okay, so I drank through high school, I drank through college, I met my husband in a bar, you know, very regular story. We moved from Wisconsin to Chicago area as young urban professionals. Mm -hmm. We worked at, we both worked at this huge company doing um, HR work. And it was almost like the college after college because it was, they hired all new grads. So we made new mm -hmm. friends in the area. Now we had a little more money than we did in college because we were working. So we went to happy hours and Cubs games and everything with our work people. So drinking was like sort of part of the job or it was hosted by, by the company and all that good stuff. I had a couple job changes, but always like a beer cart on Fridays or, and then I was in sales and I was often the only female and a lot of sales teams and drinking definitely part, 
felt like part of those jobs too, with networking and dinners and um, all these different events. When I had children, the change was I worked part-time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could be at home with the kids and working, and it was the best of both worlds in a lot of ways. It was a choice my husband and I made. Either of us could be home and either of us could work. We were both perfectly capable of doing both, um, but this is how we decided to do it. So my husband traveled a lot, and oh, he was hard. at home. And drinking, he was in sales, drinking was part of his job too. So he was having private concerts and going to Vegas and just having the best time and moving up and up and up in his career. And I was home working part-time and then being with the kids part-time, feeling like I wasn't advancing in my career and I wasn't fully home with my kids. And I was lonely. I was super lonely. Were you resentful too? I know we're not supposed to say that as women, yeah, but like I think I was jealous, but yeah. I wasn't going to give up my time with the kids. That time was precious when they were little. I wanted to be the one to do that. In all honesty, as an overfunctioner, thought I was the one to do it best and do it right, yeah. and certainly the one to keep the cleanest house and do the cutest crafts and dress the kids in the right clothes and all that stuff, right? Feed them the healthiest food and all that stuff that mattered to me. So I wanted to be a, a stellar mom, and I, but I also had dreams of my own. The difference was I didn't have a social life then mm-hmm. because I was either with the kids or I was at work. So I wanted a happy hour at work because it let me off the hook to go from work to daycare pickup, yeah. which as you know, sometimes is an overwhelming feeling that you're staring at that whole long night and you're not done with your work, Right. So if I could say I have a happy hour for work, somebody else could take that. So I looked for reasons to drink. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen various articles and I'll link to them in the show notes of this. But, you know, there have been studies that say that working mothers labor an average of 14 hours a day. And it's the equivalent of two and a half full time jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the issues that I found as well was once I was a mom I felt like I couldn't take any days off, including if I was sick or just exhausted, because I had to save those for when my kids needed me. My son, you know, finally got ear tubes. And this, this sounds dumb, but I, at the time it was really real. He got eight ear infections in his first year and fevers and like basically pink eye every time. And what that meant was literally every month I was getting a phone call that he had a hundred degree fever and needed to be picked up. And he was this little baby and couldn't go back to school for, you know, 24 hours after he got the drops. I mean, it was really, really stressful at the time. And it was also stressful on my marriage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds so stressful. And you, you were fighting who's going to take off for me. It was like, well, I'm taking the step back. So it's always me. Even if I have something important to do, it's going to be me because I'm not as important as my husband and his big job, right? Yeah, I know. And I think that when we have kids, and I'm, I'm speaking for myself, regardless of how involved your husband is, because my husband also, I mean, I'm lucky he was very involved, but I felt like my life changed 80%. I mean, partially because I was on maternity leave for 12 weeks. But his life changed like 20%. And suddenly, you know, if I got any time to myself, I would get, oh, I got to go to the gym for an hour. 
Whereas he'd go fly fishing and it'd be eight hours at a time or or coach a baseball game and be gone all day. And I was resentful. I was just really pissed off that my life had shrunk so much and he still seemed to be able to do most of what he wanted to do. And I had to basically ask permission as a 32 year old high achieving woman, you know, to have to ask if you can go do some basic stuff was, it was sort of humbling, but it also pissed me off. Yeah, absolutely. I had tons of anger and resentment as well. And sometimes going out was just like when the babies were little and I was breastfeeding, going to Target by myself to buy baby stuff. It was still a responsibility and a caretaking duty for somebody else. I just wanted to go alone for a minute. I mean, I remember after my first daughter was born, my first night out, I hadn't drank for nine months or whatever. And I'm a party girl. I was what I really, what my goal was with kids was to keep my life exactly the same and just like carry around a baby, like a purse, like an accessory. Like I had no idea my life was actually going to change forever, (laughs) completely different. So I just wanted to keep everything as it was. So um, after I had my, my first daughter, it was less than a month and it was St. Patrick's day. And I wanted to go out and I wanted to party. And I had this situation, which women will hate me for, but I had a better body after I had a baby than I did before. So I was ready to fly. I definitely right? hate you for that. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know most people do. And I hate myself too. I get it. It was, it's like a rare thing where um, something happens, but I was ready to go. So yeah. I go out and I drink as much green beer as I possibly can with a friend in the matter of probably like 90 minutes my boobs are full. It's time to go home. I'm going to be leaking. I have to go back to my baby. You know what I mean? It just came to a very abrupt ending. And I just saw like how my life was never going to be the same, even though that was my goal. I was never going to be who I was before a baby. I would always worry about a baby. My body was literally attached to my child and I was a different person now. And I had to shift my priorities. So I tried to drink with the kids, play dates with friends. Right. Like, so I could have a social life too. And I still had my needs for grown up conversation and friendships. And to be honest, to party and to drink. I wanted to do those things because yeah. I want to be a person, not just a mom. Right. Yeah. So I looked for opportunities to do that. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. We're all busy, but one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash someday. And I think that, you know, being in the working world, there's, 
there are two factors that I've seen, both among myself and a lot of the women I work with are high achieving working moms who also drink quite a bit, right? So I think part of it is a feeling of continuing to be empowered to kind of be a screw you to adulting and Mm -hmm. having all this responsibility on your shoulders. Part of it is the idea that I think we have so much on our plate. We're doing all the things and always trying to race to to stay at work as late as you can and then get to get daycare as quickly as possible. And I used it to downshift really quickly at the same time. Like, oh my God, I've only got two hours to take care of myself, whatever that means. I'm going to drink because it puts me in that fuzzy, buzzy space really quickly. And Mm -hmm. then the third thing that I found is I also felt like drinking was was part of how I bonded with colleagues. And it was part, you know, going out to happy hour and going on business trips. We would go to dinner and drink a lot, right? I know people in sales have a lot of those working dinners as well. We used to have people come in from New York and we always went out to parties and we, you know, wanted to entertain them. And so it was also this idea that by drinking, I was still one of the people at work. A lot of the people I worked with were either men or they didn't have kids. So relatable. Absolutely. I drink too because, well, first of all, a loud inner critic. Me and my clients and you, I'm guessing, have a very loud inner critic that no matter what you're doing, you're not doing it good enough. You're not doing fast enough. You're not earning enough. There could always be more, right? Enough is never enough for some high achieving people like me and you and the people listening to this podcast right now. So pouring alcohol on that feels good. It feels good to shut up that inner critic a little bit and feel like everything's okay. Also, I think I was drinking at resentment of my husband, let's say. I mean, I thought I'd love to think the problem was, I'd rather the problem be him than alcohol because I really didn't want to get rid of alcohol. But it also helped me I didn't want to address anything, right? I didn't have words or communication or empowerment for what was happening to me. I mean, he was also working really hard so I could work part-time and be home part-time, which is something I was really grateful for. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to be a spoiled brat to complain about all the good work he was doing in the world, right? But yeah, I was probably jealous and mad and more like I wanted that for him, but I wanted that for myself too. And maybe I was mad at him for getting it or mad at him for not having the domestic responsibilities that I had that are never over. Laundry doesn't end. And instead of addressing those things, I could just pour alcohol on it, make myself a little bit happier yeah, and not confront anything with him and pretend like everything was okay. Oh my gosh. I have to say that when I stopped drinking, I, um, and I've actually recorded this sort of the diary of my first hundred days without alcohol through the emails I wrote to my coach every day. Cause I kind of was like, Hey, it's day eight. Hey, it's day 14. Here's what's going on. And the amount of times I mentioned laundry in there, I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> it's going to be the most boring thing ever. But you work all week and you know, you're in early sobriety and all the chores you do 
alcohol was sort of the reward you got at the end of the day. And, you know, I had an eight-year-old and a two-year-old. So apparently I did a crap load of laundry in those days. Yeah. But it yeah, was absolutely. just monotonous and uh, not terribly rewarding. And, you know, I feel like I sound not very nice right now, but I'm just trying to be honest about the fact that we're not supposed to ever say anything negative about becoming a mother. I mean, people come up to you and are like, oh, my God, you know, they're adorable. The years are, you know, the years mm-hmm. are uh, the days are long, but the years are short. And they are adorable and you do love them more than anything. And you need a break that isn't going to the office. Absolutely. But literally going to work was a break for me. Um, you got to quit clothes. You got to drive in the car by yourself for at least a little bit of time. You yeah. Know. I was sitting in a train being a person out in the world without a baby attached to me. Yeah. I freaking loved it. And I wanted it to last as long as it could. Right. Um, I relate to that so much. So my first year of sobriety, I kept, also kept a diary. And what I tell everyone is like, it's full of F U F U and F U too. I mean, it's not pretty. <laughs> it's because that's how I was feeling so angry and so resentful for having all this responsibility. When my youngest went to kindergarten, I left a job that had been so flexible for me. I actually worked part-time and was also able to move up in my career. Mm-hmm. It was a woman-owned company. It was incredibly supportive, but I was recruited for a bigger job, longer hours, more responsibility, a team reporting to me when my little one went to kindergarten. And at the same time, my dad passed away. So I thought not taking this, I wasn't going to let my dad's passing be an excuse to not take a job and move forward in my career. So I took this job and it was full-time and it was bigger. And, um, I broke my leg the first week on the job. It was like every trigger. It was a, yeah, it was a recipe for disaster, um, a comedy of errors, but it was the laundry that was getting me because I was burning the candle at both ends at this time. You know, I was working, there was early morning, um, like thought leadership events. And then there was evening client dinners and happy hours. And I was doing everything, but I didn't want to drink too much on the job. I didn't want to be seen as you know, drunk or irresponsible. So I would drink the regular amount, maybe like two to three glasses. And then I would come home from the event and actually drink for myself because I wanted to get my own fill. Mm -hmm. And then I would go to bed and wake up and early drag myself through the day and do this cycle over and over again. I was the first one up making lunches for my kids. Mm -hmm. You know, I looked like I had it all together, but inside I was absolutely dying inside Well, and that's the other thing I've seen. So I do core energy coaching, which is sort of similar to Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram. And basically, there's seven levels of energy that we all cycle through. And there are a couple levels that I feel like we live in when we're drinking. The first is before we drink, which is level two. And you start with resentment and irritation and frustration and this martyr, this feeling, right? So we drink at people, or even if it's our reward, we drink because life is hard, because we have so little for ourselves. We deserve it, right? This is our one thing. And then when you wake up in the morning with a hangover or having drank more than you wanted to again, you're in this level one energy of guilt 
anxiety, regret, remorse, self-loathing, whatever it is for you, depending on the day, that's what I felt, you know, I would be like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Get your shit together. Like that was the constant refrain in my head. But then as high achieving women, we kick into level three and level three is a level of coping and responsibility and overcompensating, right? So you're so tired but you couldn't possibly take a nap because you blame yourself for drinking. I'm tired because I drank too much. Or I don't want anyone, including my husband or myself, to notice how much I'm drinking. Therefore, I will do absolutely everything else so that, you know, there's nothing to see here. You know what I mean? Yeah. So guilty. Yeah. So guilty inside for our own behavior that is a secret and we don't want anyone to know. And we're secretly afraid that we're depending on it too much. And also that first sit every day is the best we felt all day. Yes. We're not letting it go, right? Which it's of the, course it was because we're in withdrawal and we're exactly psychologically mentally addicted to it. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it's this vicious cycle. And I think that um, we tell ourselves that we have no willpower or when we're drinking, like what's wrong with us. But Looking back with some distance, I can't believe how hard I was working and how I was like basically trying to run this marathon with this ball and chain of drinking and hangovers tied to my ankle. I mean, if you're drinking and working and motherhood, you are doing the hardest job imaginable. And also, you're completely unaware that if you removed the alcohol, the rest of your life would actually get way easier. Oh, yes. I always say that everyone, it's hard to get sober for sure. It's definitely really hard to get sober, but it's hard to keep drinking. Yeah. It was getting so hard to cover up and clean it up and pretend and pretend like everything was okay. And to keep functioning at this level when you feel like death all the time. And my mental health was crumbling. I was so anxious. I felt like I couldn't cope with life, like any new request, project, think, Mm -hmm. you know, oh my God, spirit day at school. Like, why the fuck do they have spirit day? You know, where it was like crazy hair day and then X and then Y and then teacher's gifts. I was like, everything is going to break me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you didn't have any resilience and neither did I. I actually had my first drink at 12 and you said immediately. Yeah. Loved it. I was from Wisconsin. It was super normal. You know what I mean? Like everybody drinks and keep drink, just drink. It's super normal. Put your have your kids in a bar. What what have you? That's the culture there. So I took my my 18-month-old on a wine tasting weekend in Walla Walla, which is the big wine area in Washington State, with four other couples. We rented out this whole inn. And they all had babies too. And we went from winery to winery to winery with the kids' toys. And we thought like, oh, we're the cool parents. I mean, it's almost embarrassing looking back at it. But we're like that. You mentioned like, I don't want my life to change, right? I still want to have fun. And I don't want my entire life to revolve around my kids. And at the same time, looking back now, I'm like, oh, wow, that's that's crazy to bring an 18 month old to like wine bars for two entire yeah. days. I'm sure that was really fun for the baby. Oh yeah. Ador- <laughs> well, know? some of them had dogs. So, you know, they got to run around with the dog. 
I mean, you know, I can, I mean, not to be a topper, I can totally relate. But when my second baby was born, and then I was like an, a totally experienced mom, right? Yeah. And I, he was three days old. And I went to an outdoor concert venue, had wine, brought homemade salsa, fit in my old jeans, had my baby. Like, I just, I thought I was a freaking amazing, perfect. Like, yeah. I made a homemade salsa. I'm drinking a glass of wine. I'm getting in my jeans and I have a baby. Yeah. Everyone was like, you're incredible. And I was like, yes, I know. That was exactly the feedback I wanted, right? Yeah. And I feel like it's like trying to reclaim some part of your identity, but also just this deep denial about how important alcohol has become in our lives and how much we really wanted to hold on to it at the expense of actually taking care of our physical or mental health. We just wanted to check out and get our reward. And, and basically I wanted to be 27 again. Same. I just wanted to live there. Yeah. I didn't want to actually address anything. I mean, it scared me so bad to think about my health or to think about addiction or to think about this growing habit dependence, this thing I always had, but it was started to grow and I knew it. Um, a lot, most of the time it was socially acceptable. So nobody knew my private struggle, right? Because again, I was having the right amount at work and then coming home and having a bottle, like really drink, you know? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to look at anything for real. I wanted to ignore it and feel better. And when they say like a symptom of the problem is denying you of the problem. Now that's like, oh yeah. Okay. I see it. I didn't then of course, but again, if I'm the first one up every day, it confused my husband too. Do I have a problem? Because I'm not laying in bed hungover. I wouldn't allow myself to do that no matter how sick I was. I was driving the kids. I was carpooling days after. I didn't I didn't typically drink a drive, but like having anxiety, panic attacks while driving yeah. scared for me and my life and what was happening to my body. Yeah. I mean, I used to the the lowest point for me of each day was, I mean, I would get up and go downstairs to get the coffee, you know, early, of course. And if I had opened a second bottle of wine, I would hold it up and kind of see how much was left. Like, was there three quarters left or Mm -hmm. just one quarter? Because then I was like, all right, let me see how bad my day is going to be. And, you know, yes, like with closing one eye, right? Because I was brutally hungover. I would, um, whenever I put the bottles in the recycling at night, I would like put newspaper over top. So like, I wouldn't even look at it and see that there were four bottles for on a, on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, on a Thursday, right in the recycling bin. And then I would go upstairs and after my shower, I'd be putting on my eyeliner and like staring in the mirror while putting on my eyeliner was brutal because my eyes were watery and they were bloodshot. And I was so standoffish and defensive with my husband because I didn't want him to look too closely at me. I was sort of moving really, really fast so that he couldn't like pause and look at me too fast. And he would be like, how are you feeling this morning? And I would just be like, what? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm great. I got to go. I'm so busy. I have so much going on. And it was because I didn't want him to see what was going on with me. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, so relatable. Yeah, that second bottle. And your first question, how bad am I going to feel? That's yeah. what I mean when I say drinking is hard, like getting yeah. sober is hard, but drinking is hard. Because how do you start your day with how bad am I going to feel? You start yeah. your day with a 
punch in the face and then you expect yourself to perform at your best ability, right? Yeah. Oh, and then if I was so hungover that even coffee didn't seem like a good idea, it was going to be a really bad day. And if my husband, I mean, for me, it was investigative work to be, to be like, good morning to him. I mean, it was always keep my distance, but try to gauge like, is he mad at me? Did I do anything? Yeah. If he's mad at me, guess what? I'm more mad back at him for any old, any reason. Right. Did you ever pass out on the couch? Cause I would, and my husband sometimes couldn't wake me up. And so I'd wake up at two or three in the morning and sort of creep upstairs. And if the door was like shut, fully shut versus ajar, I would feel like it was him sending some kind of a disapproving message to me. Like I would be pissed if he'd shut the door on me when I was on the couch, Mm. despite the fact I completely passed out on a weeknight and he couldn't wake me up, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The story is so familiar. I wanted my family to go upstairs and go to bed without me. Mm. I wanted to be left alone. I wanted to be left alone with my drink. I didn't want anyone judging me. I didn't want anyone watching me. And now looking back, that is so sad. That is so like the days are long and the years are short. But I was so tapped out at the end of the day. And at the end of my drinking, I was so dependent on alcohol that it was my number one priority. And I didn't need anyone judging me for it. And my excuse was I do everything for everyone. Like I was a martyr. So I'm taking care of everything. And all I do is everything for you guys. So go to bed without me and leave me alone. Yeah. Right. When I was drinking, I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety, and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, a better way to find calm, rest, relief, and to reduce inflammation. Tanasi creates the highest quality, scientifically validated CBD and hemp extract products. Tanasi's formula includes a unique combination of CBD and CBDA in every dose, which is two times more effective than just CBD alone. So if you want to create a sense of calm, to calm your mind, to relax before bed for a great night of sleep, try Tanasi. Tanasi's being really generous with our listeners. You can go to Tanasi.com and use code HELLO to get 25% off at checkout right now. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with the promo code HELLO and get ready to sleep well. And one of the things that I want to talk about this because we think that drinking helps us cope. And I think that's true whether you're a stay-at-home mom or you're on maternity leave or you're at work, right? It We feel like it helps us cope with life and, you know, I think Anne Dowsett Johnston, who wrote the book Drink, she called it the modern woman's steroid, right? And we're taught, we're taught that drinking will, will help. Every piece of marketing, every piece of the mommy wine jokes, the memes, the, you know, what we tell each other is that here, have a glass of wine, you'll feel better. And yet, it doesn't help us cope. Like when I coach working women, 
the first thing we do is say, okay, you're taking away your favorite reward. What are you scared that you'll miss or you won't be able to do? What's terrifying you about giving up alcohol? And a lot of it is, how will I relax? How will I cope with my spouse? How will I tune out of life the way I need to? And you remove alcohol and you actually have to get better at boundaries and prioritizing yourself. And like the things you're scared of are clues that you need help in a way you don't have. Mm -hmm. Completely. And you're drinking to tolerate situations and things you don't want to be in. But if you address the drinking, then it means maybe those people aren't your friends. Maybe you're not in the right job for you, but you can ignore that by pouring alcohol on it and doing it anyways. That is exactly what I was doing. Yeah. Well, so tell me how, what led up to your decision that you needed to do what, what for me was my worst case scenario, which is actually stop drinking versus holding on to the illusion that I will somehow this time only have two drinks twice a week. And then how did you get through early sobriety being a working mom? Mm Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, I love the whinings and the jokes. I love a sense of humor and I love to make it, if it could be like that, like if everybody's having a drink first, a drink before the drink or a drink in the morning or this or that, like, oh, let's make this funny because then that makes me seem normal and like, I'm okay. Um, My worst case scenario was dying from alcohol. I had this vision of me in a hospital bed with my kids at the bottom and it all being all my fault. That terrified me. My second worst case scenario was getting sober. I did not want to be sober Sally over here. I could not see a life for myself not drinking. Like I said, I was born and raised in Wisconsin. Alcohol was part of every single thing I knew. I thought sobriety meant like joining a nunnery, (laughs) being like a very boring person, a very sad person, a very person that lived in solitude because I didn't have any role models. Um, I knew two people that had quit drinking. One was my aunt and she seemed sad about it. Went to meetings in basements with all men and seemed sort of deprived. And my dad quit drinking when I was very young, like by the time I was five years old and he, he didn't have community to do it and he didn't really heal from his things. He just transferred his behaviors to other things. So those were the visions for me of a life of sobriety. So I tried very, very hard to keep it in my life. For th- I did my first sober experiment. Um, I did a 100-day challenge with Belle thinking about drinking. I did too. That was how I, I love her. Yeah. Yes. She was just so um, on point and, you know, spoke, told it like it was. And so, I actually had her on the podcast. So I will link to that, which is pretty yeah. amazing talking to her years after. I, I want to, yes, give all the credit to her because, I mean, there I was at night with my wine looking and Googling. And of course there was a hip sobriety. I know Holly was just on. And um, so, I mean, diving into her work, like gripping on every word, like this is me, um, found Belle and decided to do our hundred day challenge. I made it to 70 days and I thought I was cured. So this was perfect. Um, I could, I, I, I quit drinking so I could prove that I didn't have to quit drinking. (laughs) I could keep alcohol. I just went for 70 days. So obviously I have no problem. So it was three years of that on and off drinking on and off drinking. Um, at one point I even went five months and then back to husband. No. Did he think that there was an issue with alcohol? Yes. By the end he did. 
Um, at first, he was really protective and confused. Um, but by the end, he did. But him and I were really disconnected. I wasn't sharing with him. And he was secretly looking on. He's so loyal. He wouldn't want to leave me or give an ultimatum or anything like that. He was secretly online trying to figure out his role and codependence and what he should do and what how he could help. You know, it was very confusing for both of us. Mm-hmm. And people ask me all the time how to help a loved one. And I, I don't know because a lot of things he said pissed me off. Of course, I didn't need it. Like he'd be like, wow, back in the saddle again so fast, you know? Yeah. And I would be like, you don't know my life. Screw you. I packed us up and I got us here at this party. I dressed everybody. I packed the car. I brought the snacks. Yeah. Yes, I'm going to have a drink. Everybody's having a drink. Yeah, don't you know? be a downer. So I had two bottles the night before and I stumbled up the stairs. Yeah. He was afraid I was going to hurt myself by stumbling. You know what I mean? You know, what's interesting is my husband never really said anything to me. And the, you know, to the point that the week I finally stopped drinking for the last time when I had been sort of mentally and emotionally tortured by this back and forth for probably eight years, he said to me, um, we, I'm sure this is why I moved here. We live within three miles of 90, 90 tasting rooms, wine tasting rooms. And he said to me, like, why don't you just become a member of the Chateau Saint-Michel Wine Club so you don't have to buy a couple of bottles of wine a couple times a week? And I was just like in my own mind being like, listen to what you just said. Like, how are you not calling me out on this? But at the same time, He was like, every time I sort of dipped a toe in there, you were so defensive and so closed off. And so there was nothing to see here that he was like, I'm not your parent. You know, I don't Mm -hmm. want to put that dynamic in our relationship. So he Mm -hmm. never really said anything about it. I know right where you live because I've been to the winery twice. (laughs) No, you haven't really. Yes, of course. Yes. Oh my God. I'm three miles from there. And I love that one. Yeah, of course. Um, Made it a point to be there not once, but twice. Um, So my mantra to my husband is always, you're not my dad. I mean, it's been that way. And when we, when we got together in college, we met in a bar and I never wanted to go home and he knew nothing good ever happens after midnight. So we had this thing. I mean, he partied with me, but he had his limits. I did not. And when he thought it was time to go home, he was quickly reminded he's not my dad. So he too was not allowed to say too much. My girlfriend and I, who were both huge drinkers and our husband, who were sort of like both of them, like, all right, let's get these girls home. We would always say to them, like, love me, don't judge me, like, which was somehow a pass. And I would tell my husband, like, you knew who you married. And he was sort of mm-hmm. like, we got together at 23. He was like, I kind of thought you'd grow out of it. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Right. The weird thing was I drank way more at 40 than I did at yeah. 23. And yet, yeah, I was just like, you knew who you married. Um, mm-hmm. All that kind of stuff, which looking back, I mean, I think that we do so much work to hold on to our drinking because it's so important to us. And I know that for the longest time, I wouldn't talk to my husband about it because even when I was stopping, I was like, if I say something, he's going to know I have a problem. And if he knows I have a problem, if I want to go back to drinking, he's going to be watching me and judging me 
every time I finish a bottle of wine, every time I drink four days a week. And I just couldn't imagine that being our lives. You know what I mean? Right. Well, we're perfect. First of all, we're perfect. So we're afraid of failure. We don't allow ourselves to try something and change our mind or go back. Like we think if we make this declaration, then we have to do that forever. Yeah. So we're scared to make an announcement because we're afraid we we won't keep that promise and we're meant to be perfect, right? Also, we don't do anything wrong and we don't have any problems. Yeah. You know, we are like everything's fine, everything's fine is the story that we we tell ourselves. So we don't want them to know. Yeah. My final surrender was with my husband. I was unemployed. I was between jobs. I was absolutely miserable. Um, we were so disconnected, him and I. The kids were getting older and starting to notice. And that was annoying, right? How old and were your he, kids when you stopped drinking? My oldest was 12. Okay. But I mean, I started my little experiments three. She was nine when I started this on off drink. Actually, when I was 21 was my, my golden birthday, my 21st birthday. Legally, I could drink. I wrote in my diary, I was afraid I was an alcoholic. Mm. And it would be 21 years later before I actually quit. Yeah. So it's something that was always, I knew I liked it more than most people. I knew it lit up my brain in a way that my husband didn't feel. I mean, he could walk away from it. I never would. So for the first time I did, we were, him and I were out to dinner on a very random Tuesday night. And he said something like that alcohol isn't helping me when I was trying to share how miserable and depressed I was. And I, I quit to show him to prove him wrong. Right. So I left my wine right there on that table, which I had never done before. And we weren't going to pick any up on the way home. Right. And so I went to bed mad and I woke up and was like surrendered for the first time in my life. A person who has it all together. I said, I think I need to quit and I need help. Like, can you help me? And he was thrilled to have some direction to know what to do. He said anything. And I said, will you just not drink with me? Like for the first few weeks, and he actually had a better better understanding than I did that our whole life was going to change. Mm-hmm. And he was okay with it. You know, I was scared. I was scared for our social life. I was scared yeah. for with our family. How do we fit in? Like, I'm going to be a weirdo, sober person now, you know, like, yeah. I don't know how to do this. And he was into it. He wanted it for me. And he stays that way. But I'll tell you, everything's changed and it's in the best way. I feel like it's um, Eve Rodsky's Fair Play. Because once I leveled up, my whole family had to level up too. There were things where I had to set boundaries. I wasn't going to be the only one responsible for laundry all the time, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Can we talk about perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause for a minute? I am 48. So if you are going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep. It is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head on. And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Women cannot stop raving about it on social media, but the biggest benefit is the simplest, feeling like yourself again. 
So if you're going through this, like I'm going through this, for a limited time, you can get 15% off your first order at happymammoth.com with promo code HELLO. That's happy, M-A-M-M-O-T-H.com. And use promo code HELLO for 15% off your first order. And um, I got sober in February. It's going to be five years coming up. Wait, what day? I did too. Oh, yeah. February 20th. Okay. I'm February 18th. I'm going to hit seven years. Yes. So awesome. So at St. Patrick's Day, again, this seems like a theme party on St. Patrick's Day. The kids wanted me to have people over and, you know, and celebrate like I always did. Like I do all the little St. Patrick's things for my kids and then drink wine with the moms. And I wasn't going to do that when I was what, like three weeks sober or something. And they were, they were bummed. They didn't know what exactly what was going on, but it's weird because everybody notices when you drink too much, but when you quit, you don't get a lot of gold stars, right? Oh no. Yeah. Well, (laughs) and that's when it's so helpful to connect with other people on the alcohol-free path because Nobody else in your life realizes that if you hit day 14, that might be the longest you've gone without drinking in five years. You know what I mean? Like you deserve a fucking parade. How many walks you've taken, how many podcasts you've listened to, how much quitlet you've yeah. you know, like put in your head to get to day 14. That yeah. is so hard. Yes. And, and people need to understand that that is huge. You know, that Mm -hmm. that is amazing and terrifying and hard. And how many times you said you were going to do this and take a break and you got to day four and just convinced yourself it wasn't worth it or you had a good day or a hard day. Um, That's when you need people who've been there before and can tell you that you're amazing or give you tips and tricks or reinforce that you can text from the bathroom at a dinner party. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We need someone. I had a friend that got sober with me and I wouldn't be here today without her. How did you find her? Was she just generally in your life? She was at the same point of her life. She was a friend, a drinking buddy of mine. And I was like, I I told my friends, actually, I like apologized. It was a very mournful, somber, sad conversation to say, I'm going to quit drinking and I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Like I was bad at this. So now I have to quit. Slap my hand and put me in the corner. Shame on me. I can't keep drinking. Um, And this friend said, oh yeah, me too. And she literally did it with me. So we were together and it would be nine o'clock at night and I'd say, I I have to leave this house. Like, let's go get coffee and dessert. It used to be cigarettes and wine. right? (laughs) So yeah, having a community at that point of people that understand yeah. is so, so important. And then learning you and I to tune in to ourselves, to let ourselves be and to actually give ourselves the rest that we need yeah. Yeah. and to sit with ourselves. I, I couldn't sit with myself. Like I said, panic attacks in the car. I think that's because I was alone without noise. I couldn't be doing things. Mm-hmm. When I was alone with my thoughts. So you and had to be with yourself. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, I didn't know how to be with myself. I had always poured alcohol on every bit of discomfort. I was like a toddler learning, like throwing temper tantrums, learning how to feel how I feel. And I told myself, so I had a series, I had, um, I did three eulogies in three years 
right before I quit my, that's when my drinking went from like bad to worse. And it changed from, it changed to self-medication, honestly, of like this grief. And I told myself not to get over it. Like, I didn't think I was allowed to feel those things. And because I did the eulogies, I wanted to keep it together. I didn't want to be bumbling and crying up at a pulpit somewhere. You know what I mean? I wanted to do a really good job. And so I didn't let myself feel anything until afterwards. But then afterwards, get over it. It's over. Move on. Right. So, you know, that that sort of tumbled. But we're allowed to. The other thing is one of my sales teams I worked on was all men and then me. And we we had a retreat with a lot of drinking at this retreat, this weekend retreat. And we went around and set our goals. And all of their goals was for their wife to be the stay to be a stay-at-home mom. And I thought, oh, that's interesting because I'm for that was their goals to like make enough money so that she yeah. could do it. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that's interesting because I'm here and I'm also the stay-at-home mom. I'm a peer of yours in the same position. And I'm also the stay-at-home mom. You know what I mean? Expecting myself to be able to do literally everything at 110%. Yeah. And I mean, people talk about like the mental load of motherhood. And I think that's true. It's not that, I mean, my husband completely helped. I say that except for when it was baseball season or basketball season when he was totally, you know, unavailable in addition to his job as teacher or principal. Um, and yet I was working a full-time job and, you know, had to negotiate, like once I stopped drinking, like, Hey, can you get the kids on Tuesday night so that I can go to therapy from six to 7 PM? And he Mm -hmm. was like, is this going to be every week? How long is this going to go on? And I was just like, you've been effing coaching and getting home at seven, seven 30 for years for six months of the year and gone every Saturday. And now I need one hour once a week. And you're asking me when it's going to end. You know, I mean, that's the like renegotiation of who does what and, you know, needing to hold your ground and not feel guilty when stuff happens. And I would come home from therapy and he'd be like, so were you talking about me? And I was like, Oh, honey, of course not. I was talking about work and my boss. And of course, I was like, yeah, of course, I'm fucking talking about this. It's just one big complaint department. To be yeah, honest. No, I mean, I love you. But, right. so it's, but the thing it's, is, it's not that you need him to watch his own kids for an hour. You also had that invisible load of managing it, scheduling for it. What if they had a practice they needed picked yeah. up or an appointment or like you were like he's going to do it, but I'm going to figure out where he needs to be at what time and You're put it on his calendar and like, you know, make, right. oh, but I got dinner for tonight and here's what it is, you know? Yeah, right. Um, and so when you stop drinking, it's really hard for women, but you need to lower the bar and ask for help and not even ask for help, but demand help in some way, you know, which is difficult. Um, underwhelm is my favorite tool. Yeah. Underwhelm in the beginning. Do so not. How do you tell women to do that? Let it all go. Do the least minimum. I mean, try not to get fired from your job, but fly under the. You don't have to take on new projects. You don't also have to do a fitness and exercise routine. Like you yeah. don't have to add up. You don't have to read twelve book, um, twelve more books this year than last year, and you don't have to do all the things. Right? You don't have to be room mom. Like, yeah. 
do the least minimal possible. Your body is healing. I'm like, treat yourself like a newborn baby. Swaddle yourself, self-soothe. You're just learning to self-soothe in the beginning. So do that. And then yes, delegate. And then money financially, like obviously we save so much by not drinking. It's ridiculous. So you can afford a coach and support also a house cleaner and a landscape. Someone to mow your lawn. Like don't do those things. Take them off. And yes, hold your partner accountable for the whole deal from beginning to end. If they're going to do dinner, fantastic. They can plan the menu. They can make the meal. They can clean up the meal. Like they're capable, but we've been doing it for them. And then it's not going to look the present. If you're my husband, it's delicious food. And the presentation is questionable to go grab your slap, (laughs) whatever it is. Let it be. You know what I mean? You have to let go of some of the micromanaging that we're used to doing, right? I mean, you know, you want to go to the grocery store because when you go, I'm speaking for myself, when I go, then my husband brings home all the Oreos and then I eat them. You know what I mean? Especially if I stop drinking. I mean, he would make dinner and like sometimes, which, you know, now I'm, I'm way more cool with, he would make mac and cheese and hot dogs and slice them up. And like, that was dinner. I had to be like, all right, that's cool. You know, everyone survives though. And for moms, I say if dinner is mac and cheese and hot dogs for five days that week, that's okay. If your kids don't get broccoli for this week while you're trying to be alcohol free, that's okay. And like your kids can watch the iPad for three hours a night. That is better than you drinking to the point of like not remembering or not sleeping that night because it doesn't last forever, but you can't you know, if you're drinking to tolerate your life and do everything, you can't remove the alcohol and keep the standards exactly the same as they were when you were drinking to get through it, you know? Yeah, it's not sustainable. Yeah, so they can eat mac and cheese. They cannot have a bath. They can have iPad time. Eventually, when they have a happy, sober, healthy mom, it is the best thing for them. It is the best thing for them. And you don't get from here to there without some of that in between, without underwhelming yourself. And it doesn't take that long. It really doesn't. And you're, you know, but the first 30 days are really, yeah, that's the time when you need to bubble up. And, you know, I used to um, go to the gym. I had a gym membership that that had a kids club, um, which was amazing. Part of my, you know, getting through the day was I would go to the gym on Saturday or Sunday, put my kids in kids club for two hours and not exercise. I would go in the hot tub or the steam room or even just sit in a little lounge area and like read a book and then get smoothies with the kids and come home. And then it was like, I've been out. I've done something for myself. I've had some downtime. The kids have played. You know, for me, it was a win, win, win. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's perfect. I love it. I still go to the gym sometimes and do the spa circuit. You know, <laughs> maybe I'll make myself walk and a treadmill for a half an hour. But um, yeah, just for time. And I spent Saturday nights at the gym alone because I was that bored and lonely and unsure of what to do with myself. So investing in a gym membership or a safe place to go when you're feeling itchy and antsy inside your house. Um, and if you're like me, if everything's not in its spot, I'm always itchy and antsy inside my house, right? Like sitting still is hard for people like us, but figuring out ways to take care of yourself and then living in the flow of your life and not resisting. So here's the other thing. I didn't know how I would be friends with those friends without drinking. The truth is 
those relationships have dissolved. And that's okay. It's sad. It's painful. It's hard. It's okay. It's ultimately better for me. And it's opened up doors for people that are like-minded in this way. I've met new friends. So that's been beautiful. I, I couldn't see myself doing that job while being sober. I'm no longer in that job. Now I have my own company doing what absolutely saves my soul, what I should have been doing all along. Part of the reason I was drinking is because I wasn't listening to myself. I wasn't aligning with my highest values. I wasn't doing the things that I've always been meant to do. I was pouring alcohol on that too. Now, because I've been through the process of getting sober, I've built myself. And now I have the confidence to actually live the life that I want to live, which is brave. And it is creating boundaries and saying no to some things so you can say yes to others. But mostly it's hearing yourself, figuring out who you are. And you do that by journaling F-U-F-U and F-U too. (laughs) And somehow you start to find your voice and what you want, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that when you're saying that, I'm sure some women listening to that are terrified, right? Because they're like, well, I don't want to change all my friends and I need to do this job. And in my mind, it's a process, right, of evolution and of removing some things that aren't serving you and adding new things in. So I didn't go out pretty much for the first 30 days. I also weirdly didn't tell my husband about any of the inner turmoil or how worried I was about alcohol or any of that. I didn't tell my hair to sober coach. Most of my clients do tell their spouse. But basically, I told him I was doing a 100-day no alcohol challenge. I wrote my coach mostly from work when I came in in the mornings or when I was leaving at the end of the day. Um, Sometimes from my phone at night, it sort of depended on how much I was struggling. I did coaching calls with my coach from my car at work, you know, literally blocked off my calendar. And Part of the, you know, I did ask my husband not to bring wine into the house and was very clear, like, even if I asked for it, I really want to do this. This is important to me. But I told him it was a health kick. And it, I did hip sobriety school with, with Holly Whitaker. Um, and I did just interview her on the podcast. So I'll link to that as well when I was 60 days sober. And I didn't tell him that either. Like, in retrospect, I was like, how is he possibly this unobservant that I'm getting all these supports and doing all this work and he isn't noticing? But part of me says, that's how I got away with drinking for so long. You know what I mean? Their attachment styles avoided. Our attachment style is anxious. <laughs> so avoidant for them to not notice the net C is probably the way they prefer it, right? Yeah, and you know, I had what I would consider a good marriage. And at the same time, we had divided and conquered to such a degree that as I look at it, we really were only together for an hour or two a night. And when we were, we were taking care of two kids, right? We were still dividing and conquering dinner and dishes and bedtime and bath time. And then at the end of the day, I was like, my safe place was to just go to bed. And I felt boring, but how much less checked out was I than when I was basically drunk on the couch? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not less bad harm. saying we're that. doing less harm. Yeah. yeah. It's a very private journey, though. I mean, even when I shared with my husband, even now when I share with my husband, 
he doesn't get it, right? Yeah. He doesn't get it all. He just tries to understand, but um, he doesn't have a drink now, voice in his head. And it was a private journey anyways. Even my friend that was going through it with me had a different experience. So yeah. it's unique for all of us, right? And it's private and it's yeah. shaky and it's wobbly for quite some time. And that's okay. That's the way yeah. it. That's the way it is. And you build your muscle as you go. And you build mostly your relationship with yourself and what happens to my clients and yours too, you change in the process. So who you are on day one, is not the same as who you are on day 30, 60, 90. What happens is you lose the desire to drink. You literally rewire your brain. And once you understand what alcohol is, you have these unconscious messages saying it's relaxation and it's fun. But when you relate that to hiding your wine bottle in the morning and not being able to stomach your coffee, that's not fun. Yeah. That's not fun at all. And when you recognize it's alcohol that's doing that, <laughs> you know, you, you start to change in the process. So it's really yeah. beautiful. And as far as your whole life changing, it is little at a time. It's a process and you choose it. You welcome it. Yeah. Nothing happens without your approval. You start to see things with new eyes when, when the sobriety starts to bring clarity. When you get a lot more empowered in advocating for your own needs because you're less guilty, you're less overcompensating, yeah. you know, you actually follow through on things that you always said you were going to do. I can't tell you how many times I was like, I need to go to a 10 a.m. yoga class on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And I was always hungover. And then I would like, you know, blow it off. And yet, when I stopped drinking after a while, I would go to an 8 a.m. workout class. I would be outside. I would see friends. I'd grab Starbucks. I'd chat for a bit. And I'd come home kind of before the rest of the house had, you know, definitely before they got out of their pajamas. And mm -hmm. I didn't miss anything, but I'd gotten all that time for myself. And I mm -hmm. asked my husband at some point, I was like, do you feel like our life is more boring? now that I stopped drinking. And he was like, well, sometimes when we go out, you know, he basically was like, you don't rip off my shirt anymore at the end of the night. And I was like, oh, honey, I don't remember most of that. You know what I mean? Like, don't mean to burst your bubble. But in the morning, sometimes I'd be like, shit, did we have sex? Did we not have sex? I actually don't remember. You know, I know Look around for clues, doing the tech detective work in the morning. Right. right. But at the same time, he was like, other than that, it's a lot more peaceful. Like it's just less you being annoyed and irritated. And then you being not wanting to look me in the eye. He was like, you're just very much more even. You don't come home and kind of be pissed off about work. You aren't banging around the laundry. He, you're asking me to help. But you're not, mm -hmm. you know, resentful about it. And I was like, okay, that's, I can, I can deal with that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, my, my confidence has grown so much and that's the most attractive thing for my husband and for me, yeah. for anyone. Right. And I didn't have the same, it wasn't the same, but that's the thing. Like we see a movie like bad moms and we act like over drinking with our girlfriends is some sort of women's empowerment. And it's the opposite. Because even when I had an actual issue to bring up with my husband and I would do it after drinking, he was smart enough to not engage in that dialogue with me. Yeah. And he wouldn't fight. He would think it was the wine talking and he wasn't going to fight with me about that, even though I was demanding that he did. I was trying to light a fire and poke every nerve and bear that I could yeah. to get a rise on him. Right. 
to be noticed, to be heard, to get attention, yeah. whatever it was, I had valid things, but now alcohol didn't, it made me weak. How could he listen to me if I'm slurring and stumbling? Yeah. Like no one's going to respect that. Now, when I have a need, I say it and it gets met. Right. And yeah. I have a consequence and I have a boundary and I can do all these things. And it's a much, much better life for everyone, for my whole family. And we yeah. are having a lot of fun. I'll tell you, I couldn't do things as a drinker because alcohol was the priority. Mm-hmm. And I would be stumbly by the end. Well, now, I mean, concerts and sporting events and hiking and travel and all these amazing things are not ruined by alcohol or by my drinking or by now I've had, no, I've overdone it and it's over, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I know when, you know, I thought that I could never travel without drinking or that I'd feel so left out. And, you know, I've gone to Italy and Greece and Amsterdam and Africa with my kids, without my kids, just me and my husband. And we talked about it. And, you know, I mean, I think I think it's disingenuous to say that you don't miss any of your old habits. I mean, I used to love sitting with a crap of wine and my husband for hours, you know, in Italy and then, you know, basically passing out and then going to late dinner. And at the same time, um, I get to walk around the streets of Venice before anyone else is up and feel great and take all these pictures. And one of the things he said to me was like, you know, sometimes you were kind of dead weight at the end of the night. And I was really stressed out trying to get us home. And we were in some sketchy situations. And I was really pissed at you. You know, you think it's all fun and hysterical and you're you're a great time. He was like, I really resented that I had to be responsible for you and me, that you were dead weight, that you didn't help. And, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, that does suck now that I look back on it. And you can see it now when you look at other people who are in that condition and you have sober eyes, you can see yourself there, how that maybe wasn't as fun for your partner as you were thinking it was for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just want to give a couple more tips because I like as working moms, as coaches who work with a lot of working moms, um, you know, when I look at women's schedule, part of my life, you know, in talking to them is like, of course you drink. You drink because you feel like it's all too much. And here's the thing. It is all too much. But it's hard to shift those those expectations. You need to draw better boundaries. You need to lower the bar. Um, but some of the stuff I, I did was like block off my calendar to make sure that I could go from a, a walk at work every day. Like even in the dead of winter, I put like furry boots in my car and my big puffy jacket and even 20 minutes a day listening to a podcast, getting fresh air and movement really helped. I also, um, I also, uh, left early. I had trouble saying no at work. So sometimes I'd schedule like on a Friday, a pedicure at four o'clock or something else I had to do so that I would get out of the office and would get something for myself on those days when I was like, I deserve a drink for getting through the week and then pick up my kids and get sushi takeout and watch a movie, right? Making sure that you actually do get a reward and also eating something before you drive home. Sometimes driving a different route home 
so you don't go by the grocery store on autopilot. Um, those were some of the big things I did. I also told everyone I worked with that I wasn't drinking because I was doing a health kit because I needed that accountability. And a lot of them were like, oh my God, I could never do that. And when is your hundred days up so you can, um, we can go out to wine. But, you know, when I got to a hundred days, I said, oh, I feel so good. I'm going to go for six months. But it gave me that accountability telling everyone so that it was harder for me to drink. What are some of your tips? What did you do or what do you tell people to do? So much the same, of course. I like the idea of spoil yourself sober, Mm -hmm. that this is not a life of deprivation, that you can live the life of your dreams. What does that look like? Envision your best sober self. And for me, it means manicures and pedicures. It means spa days. It means coffee dates. It means making everything a beautiful, sensual experience. So instead of the cheap stopping at the CVS for the cheap bottle of wine on my way home because I'm stressed out, it would be like, yes, um, getting out of the house if that's something you need to do. If that's a walk in nature, I love. If that's a manicure, I love that too. If it is being home, lighting the candle, getting your favorite sparkling water with the best garnish in a pretty glass, it could be a new glass, you know, and playing your favorite music, putting a podcast and making. So most of my clients, it's not even that they, that it's drinking. What they want is to not make dinner. They don't want to be responsible for dinner every single night. Mm -hmm. It's not even that they want a glass of wine. They want to skip out on the responsibility of making dinner, right? So it is sushi takeout. It is, again, underwhelm. What would make it easy for you to get through this day? What if the kid didn't get it back? They would survive, right? If it kept you sober, it would be worth it. If, or, you know, maybe, maybe hubby does bad time. Maybe it's sushi takeout. Maybe it's takeout all week long uh, so that you can get through that time. Maybe, yeah, you take a walk. You know, maybe the kids play at the park and you ignore them and listen to your podcast, you know? Yeah. Whatever it takes to get through the day in the beginning, for sure. But spoil yourself. Make it awesome. Don't look at what you're giving up because I think it's like um, addition by subtraction. Like yeah. you are removing alcohol, but if you removed alcohol, for me, it was actually the portal to everything I wanted in life, to reading more books, to doing more yoga, to taking more hikes, to making more friends, to owning my own business, you know, like to continuing this like lifelong learning. What things could you get? How is alcohol getting in the way? And if you remove that, so go for like the best version of yourself. And then don't give me any excuses about like, you can't afford it. That you Oh, I saved a thousand $100 in my first 60 days, not drinking. So yes, you give yourself a manicure or, you know, you get a manicure. Certainly a walk costs nothing and a massage costs more. There's everything in between from a candle to a pair of socks, to a Starbucks drink, to what, you know, whatever. But lavish yourself in this. And if you need to eat candy, then you eat the candy, right? Yeah. You do whatever you need to do to get by and stay sober. Also, I mean, when I think about what I drank every week, just to put it in perspective. So I, my favorite bottle of wine was about $14. And say I drank a bottle or a bottle and a half every night of the week, mm-hmm. right? So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, it's probably somewhere around 15 to $20. That is easily $100 each week. Yeah. And so you can get a massage, yes. you can get a pedicure, you can hire a babysitter 
for exactly. four hours on a Saturday and um, or get a gym membership, right? With that money. Yeah. And you actually need to do that because there's a reason you're drinking. Yeah, absolutely. So I recommend doing all those things. And yeah. I did, I did those things. The other thing I did, which was, which was harder for me to do, I just want to put that out there because for so many of us, it's like, well, I do all this stuff at work. I can't say no. I have a boss. I have colleagues. The work needs to get done. And then my kids need all this stuff and I'm left with so little. So um, the I stopped drinking in February, um, the sort of end of spring that year. Um, my husband wanted my son to play summer baseball. My husband is a varsity baseball coach and has been for 20 years. He also plays summer ball and likes to go fly fishing. And we, I mean, he's got a good life, right? And so, but I was always the one stuck with the two-year-old and the eight-year-old going all summer three times a week to baseball practice and trying to amuse my two-year-old in the park, you know, at the same time. And mm-hmm. Um, my husband wanted him to play. And I said to him, like, okay, if he's going to do this, you have to take him, you have to be responsible. And it wasn't because I had another good reason. I just wanted to nap and lay in the sunshine and cuddle my daughter or read a novel, you know. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, yep, I'll do it. And I was like, okay, but last year, you said that. And you went fly fishing for a week. And you played your baseball team and you weren't available, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So if you're going to do this, you need to not play baseball this year. And he was just like, I am not willing to do that. I said, well, if it's not important enough for you to not play, then Hank playing this is literally not important enough. And it Mm -hmm. took, you know, it took him aback because he was like, you can do this. And I was like, yeah, but so could you. And you're not. So Hank didn't play baseball that summer. The world went on. I had a lovely summer after work, just getting home at 530. It's light out till 10 o'clock here in the summer, not dragging him to different parks and just standing there with my daughter, you know? Yes. High five, sister. You did not light yourself on fire to keep somebody else warm, right? Yeah. And I honestly didn't care. And I got to tell you, my eight-year-old could give a shit about summer. He played in the spring. You know what I mean? Right, right. It all worked out. The other thing is when you're newly sober, you can be bitchy and sober. <laughs> you can be irritated and sober. You can be resentful and sober. Stay sober. Like so many people drink to change their mood, right? Yeah. Like so many of my clients drink because their husband thinks they're happier when they have a drink. Oh my God. Because- my husband used to bring me home wine when I was in a bad mood because he was like, he wanted you in a good mood. We drink to change our mood. Yeah. Let yourself be however you are, which is probably irritated and annoyed, but stay sober. You don't have to be happy and sober at first. That comes later, <laughs> but in the beginning, just stay sober. Yeah. And for me, that was irritable and annoyed and sober. Yeah. Now I'm happy and sober most of the time, right? Most of the time, but not always. Sometimes life is life, life and is you're life. in a bad mood and, and, and that's okay too. too, right? But yeah. I still don't drink at it. I know how to navigate a bad mood. Right. Yeah. Like, but in the beginning, your emotions are so out of whack. There's oh. this big awe when you're not used to feeling and your brain is rewiring and you're missing your pacifier, which yes. is a bottle of Chateau St. Michelle or whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so I'm hoping if someone's listening to this, you at the very least realize that you're not alone. Um, you've gotten some concrete and practical strategies for how to navigate early sobriety while being a working mom and have permission to prioritize yourself, to get yourself the tools and support and treats you need to get through this time. Because I promise you, it gets better. And being a working mom actually gets easier when you're not drinking. Yeah, absolutely. I just, the mantra can be, you are allowed. You are allowed yes. to feel what you feel. You're allowed to treat yourself to whatever you need. You're allowed to help in alone time and all those things. And for the guilt that comes in and the guilt about work and mostly motherhood is change behavior is the best apology. So if you stay mm-hmm. sober, your children not only see that you had an alcohol problem, they see that you were able to overcome something really tough. And that is the best thing for them. And it's the best thing for you. Yeah, I love that. Well, so I know people are going to want to follow up with you and learn about your work and what you do. So where is the best place for someone listening to this to find you? Yeah, you can go to my website, ditchthedrink.com. I've got lots of resources and offerings there. Of course, coaching, a membership, an online class. I'm on all social media platforms, uh, LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook and Pinterest. So I love connecting with other people, especially um, like like high-achieving professionals like us and teaching them self-compassion, tuning in, self-discovery, and to stop pouring wine on all of that. Yeah. All right. I love this. I'm really grateful that you came on to have this conversation. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Casey. I appreciate all the work that you do and um, I'm a huge fan. So it was an honor to be here today. Oh, it's so nice to get to know you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. Addiction impacts all of us. Addiction's consequences run through all of us. From ourselves to our loved ones and through our communities, addiction creates so much loss and grief. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm the host of the Addicted Mind podcast, a show featuring personal stories, expert guests, and vital information about addiction and addiction recovery. We'll talk with leading treatment providers to discuss the latest research and treatment options for this devastating disease and advocate for mental health awareness. We discuss topics like the importance of creating a community of support to helping loved ones to some of the latest research on psychedelic medicines. The Addicted Mind podcast has been about creating hope listening to stories of many amazing people that have overcome addiction and are thriving. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, subscribe to the Addicted Mind podcast wherever you get your podcasts or check out theaddictedmind.com. New episodes every Monday. See you there.